Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the children's pastor here at Journey, and I've gotten a lot of comments today about me wearing long pants, and I don't know what that's all about, but it's good to be with you today. Um, we're, we're wrapping up the story of Ruth. Uh, it's been six weeks. We've talked about lots of awesome themes and characters that have come out of the story of Ruth, and we're going to finish that up today. But first, let me just say that your kids, those of you who have kids in children's ministry, they are hilarious. So I know that you guys are hilarious and maybe a little bit crazy, and I wanted to share a couple stories of some things that happened recently uh, back in children's ministry. Uh, a couple months ago, we shared about the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine in our preschool classes. And some of our preschoolers took that opportunity to tell us how much wine their mommies and daddies are drinking <laughs> on a regular basis. So we had to, to divulge a little bit and talk about uh, a different lesson about thou shalt not, you know, <laughs> become drunken. <laughs> so that was one story. Another one, I have a middle school friend um, who I was talking with one day on a Sunday morning. He said, yeah, my older brother, he couldn't make it today. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, what's wrong? He's sick. Oh, man. What's wrong? Well, he has a headache. I was like, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, oh, no, it's okay. This happens every time he drinks. Last night he got drunk. He drank too much, and now he's home and he can't come to church. So I was like, man, what is going on? Wow. Had to check in on that family. That's okay, though. That's okay. Uh, finally, one other story. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about wisdom in our elementary class. We showed this video of a skydiver. I think his name was Luke. He was the first ever man who survived a fall from, a, from an airplane into a safety net without a parachute. So we let the kids watch that. And then we asked them, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? So we got some interesting uh, feedback. And one little girl said, well, last night, I went with my mom to the tattoo shop. I didn't know where this was going. And so I said, OK. And I thought she was going to say, yeah, my mom got a tattoo. No, she said, I watched my mom get her college tattoo removed from her body, and it was the grossest thing I've ever seen. I didn't ask where the tattoo was or what the tattoo was, but I wanted to, but I couldn't stop laughing. And I just, I, I share those because it's an amazing thing to get to serve kids. And so if you have a heart to serve kids, I would love to talk to you about that. So let's jump in back into Ruth. We've been talking about the Cinderella story of the Old Testament, right? Just to recap quickly, as I said in the video, there was a guy named Elimelech. He was a husband to Naomi, right? And there was a big famine. So Elimelech and Naomi moved their sons, Malon and Killian, uh, to, to Bethlehem. And we see that the famine is a very difficult and trying time for our characters. In fact, Elimelech dies. And the sons who get married, they die a short time later. And Naomi decides that she hears from God to go back to her hometown because there's food there. And Orpah and Ruth the daughters-in-law have a decision to make. Are they going to go back with Naomi, or are they going to stay where they are, where their roots have now been planted? Orpah stays, and Ruth goes back with Naomi, and we see their relationship continue to develop. We also see how God provides in the midst of unprecedented circumstances. They don't have any husbands to care for them. They don't have money. They don't have property. It's a very trying time for them. And then this guy named Boaz, he shows up, and he allows Ruth to take some of the harvest from the fields, He's a very generous, kind, giving man. And then he falls in love with Ruth. It sounds like a typical chick flick, right? It's a Cinderella story because there's devastation and there's destruction and there's death. We see our characters, they're financially devastated. They don't have money to make ends meet. They don't have money to put food on the table. Have you been there before? Are you there today? 
We see that they're relationally broken. They've moved away from the only family that they've known, and they have nothing now. Have you been there before, or are you there today? We see that their marriages are broken through death, but also through not being wedded to a a Christian person. They're broken, they're bad, they're messed up. Have you been there before? Are you there today? We see that spiritually they're devastated. There's a dryness to their spiritual relationship with the Father. Have you been there before? Are you there today? We see that physically there was no provision when the husbands died. There was no plan. There was no preparation. There was just broken people. There was a time of mourning and weeping and crying and sadness. Have you been there before? Are you there today? We've, ex- we've seen our characters experience some really dark, devastating times. But we also see God show up, don't we? We see God show up in miraculous ways. The story of Ruth started with tragedy, and today it ends in triumph. It started with a funeral, and today it ends with a a wedding and with a birth. And before we gloss over this, I just want to say, look at how our characters don't give up. They don't give up. There was times, time and time again, where they could have thrown in the towel when everything seemed hopeless. And they believed and they trusted that God would show up, and he did. That's what brings so much victory into this story. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But first, let's go back to the scripture. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13. It should be on the screens. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. This is the love story, right? This is Ruth. This is Boaz. Boaz, the generous, kind, loving man. And Ruth, the person who's been waiting for the, for the guy, the right guy to come along. The, Ruth, the, the person whose family has, has been a, a broken family, who's who's even dealt with incest in in her family lineage. God brings them together into a God-ordained marriage, and it's so amazing. We also see that a baby is born. Now, I remember the reaction that I had when my wife told me that we were going to have our son, Henry. You see, it was when we were working together in the same company, and she decided she was going to surprise me uh, by telling me that we were pregnant. And I'd always wanted to be surprised, like romantically and all this kind of stuff, and Um, So what she did is she brought us home for lunch one day, and she had a picture frame and a card sitting on the table. So I went over and looked at it and noticed it was a picture of a positive pregnancy test. And I cannot tell you the terror and the shock that came over my body. I mean, it was kind of like complete paralysis. Now, we had been trying, so it wasn't a shock that we were actually pregnant, but it was a shock to my system. If anyone knows me, I'm kind of reserved, and I think about things a lot. I'm very analytical. And so this was just overwhelming for me. The flood of responsibility, and yes, the dollar signs that were dancing around my head, I did not react the way I should have. Let me just say that. And Molly reminds me of that often. But I didn't tell her until last night when I was going over this in front of her. I, I, I never read that card for a couple of weeks until the shock actually wore off. I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't face it. But needless to say, like I said, my reaction was not great. But let's see the reaction of, of, of the townspeople, of the women in this story. They're so excited for them. 
They talk about how Obed's going to be the family redeemer and how he's going to be famous in Israel. He's going to restore Naomi's youth and care for her in her old age. Now remember, Naomi and Ruth, they're not physically bonded through blood, right? Daughter-in-law, mother-in-law. But spiritually, they have a bond that's so neat. And if you've missed a few weeks in our series, you've got to go back and catch that. See how God is utilizing their relationship to bring healing. And how sometimes our biological family may not be there for us. That bond may not be strong, but God wants to provide spiritually for us in a way that we can't understand. Naomi is the mother-in-law who had a deceased husband and deceased sons who left her with no provision. Her sons never had children. But now Ruth is going to have a child, and Naomi gets to love and care for that child and experience God's grace and God's healing and God's provision in an amazing way. You also see, too, that Naomi has some godly community around her, too, right? She has some counsel that are praising God for what God's doing in her life. See, as much as this is about Ruth, this is also about Naomi. This was a huge blessing for this family. And let me remind you today that children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. That's what the Psalms say. And some of you say they're a burden, and sometimes they are a burden. But they're always a blessing. And we live in a culture when all too often we don't see children as a blessing. Sometimes it's easy for us to nickname or curse our children. Right? We may not be cursing words at them, but we curse them when we say, you're lazy, or you're never going to be good enough, or why can't you get it right, or you're stupid, or you're incapable. You're cursing them, speaking death into them. We must speak life into our children so that they will grow up and become everything that the Lord created them to be. If you see your child as a blessing, you see hope for your child. Not necessarily in your child, in Jesus, but hope for your child. Ruth was able to raise up a son, and that was evidence of God's blessing. Let me just encourage you today, if you have a child, think of them as your blessing. Speak life into them. Speak life over them. Invest in them and think of them as a blessing. Every week in our children's ministry, we get to pray with and for your children and over your children because we love them because they are a blessing to us. The story continues. Ruth 4.16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So go back, if you will, to Ruth chapter 1. Maybe you remember, Naomi is experiencing some bitterness because her hands are empty. She was longing for a child to replace what she had, but the Lord had not blessed her with one. She was bitter and frustrated and hurting. Naomi was the one who said in chapter 1, For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Have you been there before? Are you there today? It may not be through the loss of a child or not being able to conceive. But have you felt that frustration, that hurting, that bitterness? I mean, we can't blame Naomi. Sometimes we feel the same way. We say the same things. If only Naomi could have seen then how, she, how God was going to bless her later, right? 
Sometimes if only we could see how God's going to use this situation for good and bless us in the end. We've got to learn from what she learned. We've got to learn that God's plan is perfect even when we may not understand. Even when we can't figure out what he's doing. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. This is such a great demonstration of what God can do through one poor woman, two poor women, a poor family who decide to stay faithful to his calling. We've got to trust and believe what Paul says in Romans 8, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God says, hey, Naomi, how about a grandson? It's clear God is giving her some healing through becoming a grandmother. But see how else Naomi is receiving healing. It's in the context of God's people and God's presence in his community. Naomi goes from bitter to fulfilled. She rips off that name tag. It just doesn't fit anymore. She's now happy and blessed. And how did she receive that? Through faithfulness, absolutely, but through God's healing. How many of us are in need of healing today? How many of us? How do you do that? It's clear. You go have a baby. That's what it says. Just kidding. <laughs> you got to sit in God's presence with God's people, right? You sit with God's presence with God's people. You've got to have your broken heart encouraged. You've got to have it restored. You've got to spend time with God. Share with him your heart. Have that heart funeral for a season. Be honest with him about the pains, the frustrations, the devastation, the fear, the shame that you feel, and God can heal you. And hearing this story, God's providence and provision for Naomi and for Ruth and for Boaz is through Obed. That name Obed here is significant. It's not just, Obed, get in here and get something to eat. I can just hear them say that, right? That's such an awesome name. The word Obed literally means servant of God or worshiper of God. That's important because did you catch who names the baby? It was Ruth and, and Boaz, right? No, it wasn't. It was Naomi, right? She'd waited for, no, it wasn't. It was grandma's friends. It was mother-in-law's friends, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't go to my grandparents ask to speak with their friends, ask what they wanted to name Henry and Lucy, and then allow them to name them that. They probably would have come up with something crazy. But we can see that the community believed that this blessing was part of their responsibility too. In this story, they see the baby as a blessing. They also see the baby as a ministry. And so, yes, children are absolutely a blessing. Children are also a ministry. Now, how many of you are grandparents in here? Can I see your hands? Any grandparents? All right. I heard this week it's such a shame that we have to go through our kids to get to our grandkids. Now, I don't know if that's true for you, but I've been blessed to have an awesome relationship with all four of my grandparents. My grandpa passed away last Thanksgiving, first one to pass away. And it's been an amazing opportunity for me to experience love that I have not received or could not receive from my parents. That's just natural, right? I mean, you get to share in all of the ice cream without all the lactate. You get this special love from your grandparents that doesn't come through your parents. And with Naomi, you get to see how that relationship is special as well. I've also gotten to watch my parents interact with my kids in a special way. And that doesn't just stop with my biological kids. About a year and a half ago, my wife pressed me to go to dinner with some friends. We were going to talk about uh, becoming foster parents. And I'd always said, no, no way. There's no way I'd want to be a foster parent. There's absolutely no way. That's not for me. I'm not good enough. I said all the things, right? 
And she said, well, just take a step. Just come to dinner with them. We don't have to commit to anything. And I made sure that I did not commit to anything but, but to go to dinner with them. So we went to dinner, and I remember sitting there listening to their story about how God was using them to give this little boy a home, a safe place. But God was also using them to forge a, forge a relationship with the birth mom in hopes of bringing her to Jesus. It was inspiring. It was a tug on my heart. And so I agreed, and husbands, this one step at a time thing, let me just warn you, this is how our wives get to us. I agreed to take a next step to go to an introductory class to learn about becoming a foster parent. And you can guess what that introductory class led to, a six-week course that we have to commit to, which led to home inspections, which led to interviews, which led to childproof locks on the kitchen cabinets, many conversations about the direction our life was heading, PowerPoint presentations for our family to explain what the heck we were doing, coffee dates with trusted friends, times of extreme questioning and doubt, all culminating in this phone call that my wife received on February 21st of this year with our kind and patient social worker. On the other end, asking if we would be interested and willing in taking a three-day-old baby girl home from the hospital. There wasn't a, a dad or a mom who was fit to care for her. Were we ready? Probably not. My wife said absolutely not. We were not ready. But were we trusting in the Lord to provide and to work everything together for good? It's all we had. It's all we had. And let me just say, it was the most amazing decision that our family has ever made. To see our kids bond with baby Alex has been unbelievable. It has taught me so much about love and care that they don't know her from any other person. But the love that they have for her, the love that we get to share as a family for her is amazing. Absolutely, I'd do it over and over again. The really cool thing is that we aren't pursuing it alone. As I mentioned, my parents and Molly's mom have been so supportive in loving this grandchild of theirs who's not biological but is spiritually related to them. I mean, we have social workers who are skilled in coaching and helping us along our journey, but our family's been so supportive. Our small group has been so supportive. Many trusted friends have been so supportive. The calling that we've received on our lives has been one of many ups and downs, but it's with Jesus. And that's what makes it all so worth it. That's what our testimony is all about. Now, maybe you're sitting here today saying, that's never something I could do. That's not for me. Let me just remind you, that's what I said. And I'm not saying God's calling you into foster care, although the need is great. But I know God is call calling us all to step up and to serve him in a unique way. And let me just say, if it's not costing you something, it may not be service. If it's not costing you something, it may not be service. So are you willing to take a leap, to take a risk, when you may not be ready to serve and worship God in a new way that he's calling you to? I'm so thankful that we decided to do that. Because here's the truth. You don't know who or what stands in the gap of your obedience to God's calling on your life. We don't know. Sometimes we may see it here on this earth. Other times we may not know it until we're in heaven one day. Let's close out the rest of the chapter. Ruth 4.18. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. 
Jesse was the father of David. So you may look at that and say, what's the big deal? Who are all these people? This is so significant. Remember that the family line ended when Naomi's sons were killed. But now the line will get to continue through Boaz and Ruth and Obed. So children are a blessing. Children are a ministry. Children are also our legacy. They're our legacy. Your kids have been entrusted to you by the Lord. And oftentimes we pass right over them for other priorities. Love your kids. Bless your kids. Invest in your kids. Pray over them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Read the Bible with your kids. We see you and and scripture sees you, your kids as your first ministry. And when I see in the Bible was the father of, was the father of, was the father of, It's a reminder to me that men, we, by God's grace, are the spiritual leaders of our home. Our families are our legacy. It's our opportunity. It's our responsibility. And now you may rise up and walk out at that, or you may dig in and say, I'm ready to stand up and be the spiritual leader of my home. Think about how you can love and bless and care for and invest in and and serve and encourage and cherish and father your kids. This is a crisis of our day. In this house, we recognize God is our father. And men, we need to recognize that as fathers, we're going to be like our heavenly father. We're not going to be angry or bitter. We're going to be fathers with the father's heart. And for those of you who don't have the opportunity yet, biologically, to have a kid, recognize that God has placed you in in an area where there is a need for you, spiritually, to be a father. Now, do you think Ruth and Boaz and Naomi ever would have believed that the king of Israel, the guy who was a a man after God's own heart, the guy who wrote many of the worship songs that were passed down from generation to generation, would ever come down through the life of their baby son? I don't think they ever anticipated that that was the future that God had for them. Part of God's preparations for the birth of King David and the birth of Jesus was the birth of Obed hundreds of years before. There are no mistakes with God. And even though they didn't live long enough to see it, they were making choices with God's eternal values in mind. You don't know what God's doing all the time, but you can be sure that God wants to use you just like he used Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, and Obed, to bring family and friends to him. Just like they live faithfully, we must live faithfully too, because we don't know what God wants to do through us. Your life may be a lot bigger than you think. The story doesn't end here. This was written and occurring about a thousand years before Jesus was born. This is the word of God, the only perfect thing in the world. This story is the testimony of these characters. It took from tragedy to triumph. I mean, Naomi's testimony is that she experienced a transformation in her life from a woman in despair to a joyful person. She buried her husband, her two sons, yet in the end she found joy in a new family. Maybe this is your testimony today. You are hurting and need to find healing and transformation through Jesus Christ. Ruth's testimony is that she hears the promise of God. She resiliently marches forward and changes her life to chase after him. And God saves her. The truth is that the participation in God's family is not based on your nationality, 
but on faith in and obedience to God. God saves her and loves her and adopts her as a daughter and redeems her. Maybe this is your testimony today. You doubt the acceptance and love of God. You need to be resilient and obedient to him. Boaz's testimony is that he showed integrity and faithfulness in how he treated other people. He continued to provide God's provision through his love and kindness to Ruth and Naomi. Maybe this is your testimony today. You're working hard, and you believe that this is where God's called you to. And, and maybe your testimony, just like Boaz, is don't give up. Don't give up. We all have a testimony, whether we know it or not. It's not just our story, but it's our story in the context of God's calling on our life. There's a difference between a biography and a story. A biography says, I have a great obstacle, a great opponent, a great suffering or oppression, but then I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I slayed my dragons. I healed my wounds. I fixed my life. I overcame, and I am my own hero. You can learn from my example, and you too can live in victory based on my example. This is what made the Walt Disney Company so much money over the years, right? I mean, I love Disney. I just got back from visiting not too long ago. It's one of my favorite places on earth. I love the getting swept up in the, the nostalgia and the magic that is Disney. I allow myself to enter into those stories, right, and become those characters, become those heroes. And I see my kids, who are three and five, get to do the same thing. But my friends, we do not have biographies. We have testimonies. A biography is about me, and a testimony is about what God is doing through me. A biography is about how I save myself, and a testimony is about how there was no way I could save myself except through the grace of God. God showed up. God showed off. God heard. God answered. God provided. God healed. Life changed, but I'm not the hero. God is. And Jesus is coming back soon to redeem all of us. And when we believe that Jesus is coming back soon, we tend to do two things. We confess of our sins, and we repent of them in front of God. That's number one. We confess our sins, and we repent of them in front of God. That means turn away. Number two, we go tell somebody else. We're not the center around which the Bible exists. Jesus is. Jesus is the hero of the book. We are not. And Jesus said it's all about him. It's all pointing to him. It's all fulfilled in him. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you serve him? Do you trust him? He is the redeemer. The book of Ruth is teaching us that Jesus is the redeemer. Last week, Randy talked about this idea that, that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer of the family. And it was pointing back to Jesus. That, that God could have sent an angel to come save us. But they, they would have maybe been our savior, but they couldn't have been our kinsmen. They wouldn't have had the relationship with us. A great prophet or priest maybe would have been our kinsman, but their sin disqualified them from being our redeemer. Only Jesus, the eternal God, fully God and fully man, could come down and be our true kinsman redeemer. God loves you. God cares for you. God knows your family. He knows your past, your present, your future. God wants to embrace you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to put you in his royal family line. If there's room for the people in the genealogy, there's room for us. I don't care what your family looks like. Jesus will take you. I don't care what you've done. Jesus will take you. God can redeem anyone 
from anything at any time. Do you believe that? Do you want to share that? Religion says, change and you can join us. Jesus says, follow me and you will change. There is a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And he has come and done the impossible. If you don't know Jesus, this is where you stop and you give your life to him. If you are hurting and suffering, this is where you stop and you come to Jesus and you sit in his presence with his people and find healing. If you are broken and burdened, this is where you come to Jesus and have a funeral for your heart. And you move on from your old way of life into a new way of life. How do we do that again? The context of God's presence and God's people. See, I mentioned earlier about our baby Alex. And we don't know what the future holds. We have a court date in November that will give us some direction. But we're not promised anything beyond that. But over and over, my wife and I have talked about, as people have asked us, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I'll say, well, it's quite simple. We're not promised another day with our biological kids. And that's the truth. We may have our hearts broken. That baby may return to their mom. And if so, if she's fit to to care for her, hallelujah. Amen. But we don't know what's going to happen. But that doesn't keep us from loving her. Just like it doesn't keep us from loving our biological kids or our family. Because we don't know what's going to happen. The story of Ruth was written for a reason. These characters that we read about are there for a reason. God used them for a reason. God wants to use you for a reason, and you're here today for a reason. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, maybe broken, maybe burdened, maybe needing some healing, God, and we know that you are there ready to accept us no matter what we've done. God, you allow us to have that opportunity to approach you humbly with humility and say, God, we don't have all the answers, but you do. And we give it all to you, Lord. You are our true redeemer. God, the story of Ruth is such an amazing story. Provides so much hope in this world that sometimes seems so hopeless, God. But we see our characters give an example that they do not give up when it feels like they have no hope. God, you show up time and time again. You are the hero of our story. You are the hero of our testimony. All that we have is through you. And I pray that this story of Ruth would would resonate with us, and not in here, but would remind us to go out, to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, but also to share your love and your grace with others. God, we thank you so much for this day, this book, and the opportunity to be together with God's people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.